0: Let us pray. i eternal and everlasting Father, King of kings, Lord of lords, omnipotent God, omnipresent God, omniperspective God, eminent and transcendent God. You are an awesome God. We come before you this morning, thanking you for your goodness, for your faithfulness that you have displayed on each and everyone that is gathered here this morning in sustaining, protecting and sheltering us in every way possible during this past week as we begin a new week we thank you for your faithfulness so now Lord as we have gathered we recognize that we are in a tumultuous times but underneath are the everlasting arms that sustain us we gather because you have so instructed us to do so especially as we see the evil days draw near and we know we are in those evil days so Father we do request now for those who are particularly sick in this congregation you know who they are we just pray that you uh, heal their bodies in a way that brings glory and honor to you so as we get out to study then we pray that God the Holy Spirit who is the perfect communicator Will enable us to hear precisely what you have for us this morning. This is a request in Christ's name. Amen. Continuing in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 23 through uh, chapter 11, verse 1. We have been dealing with still, are dealing with the believers' freedom in Christ. And he reads, I'm going to read from verse 27 if some unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if anyone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the man who told you and for conscience' sake. The other man's conscience, I mean, not yours. For why should... My freedom be judged By another's conscience If I take part in the meal With thankfulness Why am I denounced Because of something I thank God for So whether you eat Or drink Or whatever you do Do it all for the Glory of God Do not cause Anyone to stumble Whether Jews Great or the church of God Even as I try to please Everybody in every way For I am not seeking my own good But the good of many So that they may be saved Follow my example As I follow the example Of Christ Now the message of 1 Corinthians Chapter 10 Verses 23 through 11 Verse 1 that we have been considering Is that you should Use your freedom in Christ in such a way to advance the spiritual needs of others. Now this message we are started will be expanded by centering on three responsibilities that you have as a believer pertaining to the concept of freedom that you have in Christ given in the passage that we're studying. Now the first, if you recall, is that you should understand that not everything you have right to do help other believers I mean help others spiritually but you are required to seek the good of others the second is that you should understand that your use of your freedom in Christ is not absolute so you need to adjust it I mean adjust its application based on what you have so, this responsibility demands that you should know when to use your freedom in Christ and when not to use it. We indicated you should use your freedom in Christ when enjoying God's provisions that, in ordinary use, are not in, in and of themselves sinful and do not impart your testimony. Before the unbelievers, because you recognize that God created all things on this planet. Now, this we introduce and, and indicated that it's actually a positive uh, responsibility. But uh, as far as we can tell, and I said last week, there is also the negative aspect of this second responsibility that a believer has regarding the concept of freedom in Christ, which concerns when not to use it, which is when your faith is challenged. That's when not to use your freedom in Christ. When your faith is challenged. However, we indicated that the apostle did not immediately state this, but set up in verse 27 the condition necessary to state when not to use the believer's freedom in Christ. Now this condition is again when a believer has been uh, has really accepted an invitation to a meal in the home of an unbeliever where there is no issue made of the source of the meat that's part of the meal served by the host. Now the apostle stated, What should happen once the believer accepts the invitation to go and eat with an unbeliever in in the present home. So that's what we have in verse 27. This is what should happen. He said, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. So it is really with this instruction that we ended our last study And so with it We we'll continue our study this morning Now the expression When it say is put before That expression is translated From a Greek word That may mean To set forth in teaching And so it means to demonstrate To point out Although It is translated proving In the NIV in regard to the proclaiming of the gospel by Apostle Paul to the Jews in Thessalonica in Acts chapter 17, verse 3. Acts chapter 17, verse 3. Acts chapter 17, verse 3. 3. It is explaining and proving that the that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I'm proclaiming to you is the Christ. He said here the word puts the Greek word uh, put that is translated is put before is translated proven here. Now the word also may mean to set food. Before someone, as an instruction of the Lord to the 72, he, uh, he sent out for mission walk during uh, his, this, uh, his final trip to Jerusalem. The instruction he gave them on how to conduct themselves regarding food as we read in Luke chapter 10 verse 8. Luke, and hold on to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 10, verse 8, reads, When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is said before you. Now that said before you is the same Greek word that we are looking at, translated in the passage we are studying as put before. Now the word may also mean to entrust or to be responsible, as the word is used when the Lord Jesus Christ communicated the accountability of those who have been assigned a responsibility, with privileges, of course, according to Luke chapter 2 verse 48. Luke chapter 12, verse 48. It is, But the one who does not know and does deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted, that's a Greek word, entrusted with much, much more will be asked. In other words, if you have more, more is expected of you. Which I've applied this passage several times to us. In this congregation, we have more in terms of being exposed to the teaching of the word of God, which means we'll be held more accountable than our fellow believers who don't get the same kind of understanding of scripture as we do. Now in our passage of 1 Corinthians 10 27 it has a sense of to set food before someone. To set food before someone. Therefore the believer in an unbeliever's home is instructed to eat the meat set before the person without any question regarding the source of the meat as that is what is meant in the verbal phrase of 1 Corinthians 10, verse 27 that we're studying, where it says, without raising questions of conscience. So the apostle repeats the same phrase, though, he used in 1 Corinthians 10:25. Here, as we argued previously, it is the conscience of the host that is the concern of the question. In other words, a believer who raises a question will put the host in a position where the conscience may function in a manner that judges or condemns the unbeliever who serves meat that he probably knew that a believer would not eat. He probably knew that. Anyway, the point is that it is permissible for the believer to eat the meat in the house of an unbeliever without probing to know the source of the meat that is being uh, offered to such a believer. Thus, the condition in which a believer will eat any meat offered in the house of an unbeliever is if the believer asks no question regarding the source of the meat, that is, whether it has been offered to an idol or not. Or he does his, here is here's food, thank you, eat. That would be the condition. Now we stated that the apostle affirmed the believer's freedom to eat any meat set before the individual in an unbeliever's home, but there is a condition under which the believer then should refuse eating meat set. Before the person in an unbeliever's home. So, these are things that help us to understand there are, when you begin to live the Christian life, really, you're not so much in terms of counting beans, as they say. Your whole nature will be adapted to what is right, what is wrong. Now, so, at one point, something may be right, another point, it may be wrong. It's something. So that's what we have here. You go, you go, you eat. But another time you eat, you'll be wrong. Same food. So it is to say though the contrast between uh, the action of eating and the one of refusing to eat. That is uh, that caused the apostle Paul then to begin First Corinthians ten verse twenty eight with look at that the very first word, but now he's said in a contrast. One minute you can eat, and I mean you can't. It all depends on the, the context. Now it is not really certain that an unbelieving host will make the statement in the conditional uh, in the conditions stipulated in 1 Corinthians ten twenty eight, when he say, But if anyone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice. Now we are saying that. We are not, we can't say with certainty that this, what I've just read, if anyone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, that that statement, this has been offered uh, in sacrifice, is from the host. That's what we say. We can't say with certainty, because uh, the word there, when it says, if anyone says, that word, anyone is the reason why we say that. See, the word anyone is subject to three possible interpretations. It could refer to a believer. Now this believer may be another believer, probably weak believer, in an attendance in the dinner party. Or it could refer to a slave who is a Christian but is owned by the unbelieving host. That's a second possibility. Now in this situation, such a believer would have felt that he has the obligation to inform a fellow believer of the source of meat being offered or being served since he has a firsthand knowledge of the source of the meat. So we say... He could be a believer, more so if a, a believer most likely a slave of the man, and who knows where the meat came from, and so he may be warning a fellow believer. That's a possibility. That's one possibility. Another interpretation of the word "anyone" is that it refers to a fellow guest who is an unbeliever. Still, though. Another interpretation is that anyone refers to the host who is an unbeliever. Now, any of these could have made the statement. It is probably the case whether the speaker is an unbeliever, either the host or any other unbeliever that is present in the dinner party. Now, the reason for this interpretation is that the Apostle used a Greek word that we'll get to uh, later, translated, offered in sacrifice, instead of a Greek word that is perhaps derogatory in nature, that means food offered to pagan idols. That's, if a, a believer you, uh, was talking, we think he would use a word that demeans mean, idol worship. But if it's an unbeliever, well for him, there's nothing wrong with it So he wouldn't use that word So because of that Greek word, we're arguing that Yes, uh, an unbeliever Must be involved here Nonetheless, it's really not necessary To be certain of the one Who made the statement Since That does not change the principle Of Truth being uh, Communicated in the teaching Of the apostle regarding attendance To a meal hosted by an unbeliever. To so be that as may. maiden. The clause. But if anyone says to you. This has been offered in sacrifice. States in the situation. When a believer. Should not exercise. His or her freedom in Christ. To eat anything. Because. There is now a direct challenge. Of the believer's faith. A direct one. Anyway, this time though, the word if is translated from a Greek conjunction that in our verse is used as a marker of a condition in which the probability of the action associated with it taking place has been reduced. And so it means simply if. Now the implication of the use of the word if here is that it's unlikely that someone will say what is stated, but it is, it is possible. In other words, that yes, maybe during the, you know, it's not likely somebody will just come up and uh, blot that out, but that's possible. So that's what is uh, implied by the Greek word translated is here. Now the host, or someone else may say to the believer then, that's, uh, you know, say something that uh, has to do with Oh, this food, you know, has been sacrificed to an, an idol in a temple. Since we have the verbal phrase, has been offered in sacrifice. Now that, has been offered in sacrifice, is really translated from a Greek adjective that appears only here in the Greek New Testament. And that's what means, sacrifice to a deity. Sacrifice a deity. So the question is, what will be in the mind of the host? Or an unbeliever that says this to the believer, that's a guest in an individual's home. What will be motivating the person to say, no, by the way, the meat sitting on the table. He's from idol temple. He's in sacrifice. What, what will be behind the person telling you that? That's the issue. Well, it's probably that the host, though, may be thinking that for full disclosure, that it is necessary to inform the guest of the kind of meat that is offered to the person, knowing that the person is a believer in Christ. So, for full disclosure, let me tell this person, this from... The temple of our idols. Hence, there is then a sense that the host will be testing the believer to see how the individual will react to such disclosure. You know, know, there are people who just like to push a button to see how you react. They just get a kick out of it. They just try to... uh, aggravate you, or the other. Anyway, so this is a little bit uh, different, but uh, still uh, the host may be trying to just say for full disclosure. Now the situation really that we are describing here may parallel a case where a believer today who lives in a culture where it is believed that Christians do not drink any alcoholic beverages. Now I'm saying, for the most part, that will be here in the Bible Belt area. Where for the most part, people think, you touch alcohol, you are touching the devil's property. Whatever. Now, that may be the situation. So, an unbeliever, that invites a then to a meal in his house, may pour a glass of wine and set it before that believer and say something like this I have set this before you not to be rude but I know you Christians do not drink wine did he say that? well, that would be something parallel to that you know, the other guests I poured one for everyone but I poured one for you Just to be, not to be rude to you. But I know you Christians, you don't drink wine. Okay? Well, the host who does say so will be reflecting the kind of mindset of the person in Corinth that tells a Christian that the meat was sacrificed to an idol or came from a pagan temple. It could be to taste, most likely to taste how the believer will react. Now, be that as it may, if the guest tells a believer that they the meat is sacrificed to a God, then the response of the believer is to refuse to eat the food as per the instruction given in the passage we're studying, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 28. Look at it again. That says, Then do not eat it. I see in the first one, so you can eat it. Because you didn't ask questions. No one said anything. But once somebody says anything, I'll ask questions. Well, you don't eat it then. Does it mean? You see, that tells you the whole idea of sin. You begin to understand it. Because whether you eat meat or don't eat, there's nothing simple about it. But the conditions surrounding it make sin or not. So this is why I say, when it's, the more you begin to mature, it's not always a question of, is this sin because of one particular passage of the scripture? It becomes a, a whole concept of how you deal with things in a way to please God. That's the way you now think. Not necessarily, maybe be nothing wrong with it. And yet, if you do it, you'll be displeasing God, depending on what the context is, as we're seeing here. You eat, one time fine. Next time you eat, not fine. Anyway, the, the instruction says, then do not eat it. Now, this one always seems to me that's interesting from reading the Greek or studying from the Greek. Because what I'm going to tell you, you know where you get it in English. Now the English translation does not fully capture what the picture is in the Greek text. It doesn't capture it. See the situation is that the meal has begun before the host informs the guest. In other words, you may have taken a bite before he says that. That's that's what the Greek actually uh, indicates. So when this happens, the instruction is for the believer then to immediately stop eating whatever meat is before the person. Now this interpretation is simply because of the Greek form translated, do not eat. The Greek is, is, is a, uh, for a case where an action is in progress. Something is already taking place. And he says, Stop it. Do not eat. It just, it's just me. you stop right away. It's even it means spitting out what you're chewing. That's about the whole idea here. Anyway, does really, no matter how appealing the meat may be, once a believer is informed that the meat has been sacrificed to an idol or that it came from the meat used for sacrifice to a pagan god, then the believer should immediately cease from eating the meat said before the person. Now there are two related uh, uh, reasons. A believer who has been informed that meat served was used in sacrifice to uh, pagan uh, idol should immediately stop eating it. There are two related reasons. The first is for clarity regarding the authenticity of the Christian faith so that it be clear it is very real, it's authentic. Our faith is authentic. That's the main one reason. Now, this, the believer does by making an impression on the host that the believer does not accept idol as worthy of worship and so will not want to have anything to do with an idol or be associated with an idol in any form or shape now it is this that's given in the clause of 1 Corinthians 10-28 that we study look at what it says but for the sake of Of the man who told you. Now, the word books of the NIV is not in the Greek text. Since literally the Greek reads, For the sake of that, the haven informed. That's just what the Greek said. Now, if we try to uh, smooth it a little bit, we can say something like this For the sake of that person. The one having informed you. So that's the way to smoothen it. But the Greeks simply say, for the sake of that, they haven't informed. That's all he says. Then we fill in other things to make it easily readable in the English. Anyway, so when the apostle said, for the sake of the man that informed you, or informed the believer, of the source of the meat, he meant to say that the man will know that the believer does not in any way or in any form accept idolatry. That's what is eminent. So the believer should show to to the man that he has made a clear break from idolatry and so can no longer participate in idolatry in any form. That's the issue. It's not in it, it's just now you have to show clearly we can't have anything to do with idolatry in any form or shape. That's the issue here. Now on the other hand, (coughs) if the believer is so, he will probably send a wrong message to the informant who would wonder if Christians are true to what they believe. In other words, even though you know it's nothing to eat, that's what Paul is saying, but if you eat it, you may send a mixed message or a wrong message to the unbeliever who has just told you. This thing belongs to the idol, so to say. Anyway, that's the first reason. The second reason, though, is related to the first, in that it concerns the matter of conscience, as given in the phrase of 1 Corinthians 10, Verse 28 that we are looking at. It says, And for conscience sake. And for conscience sake. Now we say that this phrase is related to the preceding sentence. For the sake of the man who told you because of the conjunction and. That is used when it says and for conscience sake. Now that the word and is translated from a Greek particle or conjunction that although is often translated and in our English versions, but it is used here in an explanatory sense so that it should be translated that is. In other words, instead of saying for conscience sake, we're saying instead of saying and for conscience sake, it should be translated that is for conscience sake. Now this means then that the phrase for conscience sake Explains further What is meant When the apostle said For the sake of the man who told you In other words he said, For the sake of the man who told you Oh, How or oh, why So that's why we believe Then he said that is So you know what he means He's referring to the person's uh, conscience So to say Now there are two related questions Really we need to answer Regarding the phrase of 1 Corinthians 1, 20, uh, 10 28, when he says, for conscience sake. The first is, whose conscience is meant? When he says, for conscience sake, whose? That's the first thing. The second is, what the Apostle then meant in the clause. In other words, what does he really mean for conscience sake? Now, there are two possibilities to the answer to the question of whose conscience is meant. It could be the believer's conscience Or the conscience of the one Who uttered the words of the sentence Of verse 28 When they say This has been sacrificed in I mean this has been offered in sacrifice Now the context rule Rules out the believer Or I mean as, he, as we will note later in verse 29, and so it must be the conscience of the one who informs the believer who is an invited guest to the home of an unbeliever about the source of the meat that the apostle meant in this instruction. It has to be the conscience of the person who informed. Now, by the way, as we have previously interpreted, The informant is most likely an unbelieving host And so it is his conscience That the apostle had in mind Now to the question Of what the apostle meant in the phrase Of 1 Corinthians 10 verse 28 When he said for conscience sake He meant That the believer guessed to refuse to eat the meat offered to a pagan idol so that the host's conscience would not bother him. I say, how is that? Well, see it is because the conscience of the host bothered him in the first place. For serving meat sacrificed to an idol, to a believer in Christ that he would have been uh, made a full disclosure regarding the source of the meat. Why would he say that? No, you know, usually when people say, no, it's not about that. <laughs> it is about whatever it is. Huh? That's why it is about it. But usually people say, well, it's not about that. No, it is about that. Because once you say that, it means something in your conscience has brought in that whatever it is, it's not about. Your conscience I preached you, but now, you're fighting your conscience. But it's not about that. That's the kind of thing here. The man who said that, his conscience had already bothered him. He shouldn't have brought this to this believer. So in order to deal with his conscience, that's why you don't eat it. So if the believer stops eating the, the meat, the host's conscience will give him rest. And that his conscience will have paid him of doing something wrong that he corrected by the information he provided to his case. On the other hand, if the believer goes ahead with the meat, the conscience of the host may ease in condemning him for idolatry. In words, he's going to say, oh, well, Maybe idolatry is not all that bad Because this Christian Didn't didn't bother him. that will be So it will be similar to what we said previously though So the host May be bothered That Christians Could be uh, Right About the futility of idolatry But If the believer Is the meat After being informed it was sacrificed to a pagan god the whose conscience may ease in his condemnation of him without the reasoning that his involvement in idolatry must not be wrong after all since a Christian participated in meat offered to a pagan idol. Now you know this many times uh, or may not realize it. Many times they are probably asking you something. Because their conscience is bothering them. So they want you to agree with them. As a way to ease their conscience. So they may say, this is whatever it is. Isn't it so? You say, oh yeah it is. They are, immediately their conscience begins to ease. The bothering. So that's what we're uh, looking at here. The man may be bothered. But once. They find that the Christian goes ahead to eat. They say, oh man, after all, maybe idolatry is not that bad. We think Christians hate us and condemn us. But here he follows to eat the meat offered to our God. Maybe maybe it's not bad. Then at that point, his conscience will also eat. That's what I'm explaining. Anyway, if this happens though, the believer has then done great damage to the gospel message. By eating the meat sacrificed to a pagan idol. In this way, the believer has used freedom in Christ wrongly. Now, we are dealing with, as always we should be, is how authentic our Christian faith is. It's one thing to claim, I'm a Christian, claim all kinds of things, but is that for real for you? Or are you just going through the motion? See a whole lot of people are just going through the motion. They go to church, all right, but you just have to go because it's the right thing to do, especially here in the Bible. But on Sunday morning, so you go. But you don't really have that conviction. You don't. It is not authentic to you. You don't. If you do what what I say, you don't have that. Uh, you are not involved in an authentic Christianity, which is a movement that definitely has a unique message and a unique people. you may not be involved with it so you do certain things that cause unbelievers to think well maybe there's nothing wrong with being an unbeliever for example of course I'm going to say a little more about this later anyway it is our interpretation that is the conscience of the informant to the believer regarding the source of the meat that is offered at the dinner table of the unbelieving host, that the apostle meant in that phrase, again of 1 Corinthians 10, 28, again we say, for conscience sake. Where again, it's not the conscience of the believer, but the unbeliever the host. Now this interpretation is supported by the first sentence... Of 1 Corinthians 10 verse 29. So we, we are now certain of the interpretation. Look at what it says. Verse 29 says. The other man's conscience. I mean not yours. So that clears up in, in a sense. Now literally though the Greek reads. But conscience. I say not one's own. But the, of the other. The d of the order. Now we use the con- uh, the conjunction but twice in our and uh, the literal translation because this we are translated li- literally say, but conscience I say not one's own but d of the order. So I use that word but twice. Nonetheless, the Greek sentence is intended. To provide explanation or clarification Of whose conscience is involved In verse 28 Now this the apostle did using two Greek words The first is a Greek particle Not translated Greek word de De Not translated in the NIV And the majority of our English versions Now it is used to connect one clause to another Either to express contrast or simple continuation. Now, although it is often translated but in the English when there is a perceived contrast between two clauses, however, it really has other meanings such as then or and or that is when it is used to link segments of narrative. Now, in our passage, the apostle most certainly uses it with a meaning that is to provide an explanation. Now, this interpretation is reflected in the today's English versions that uh, begins verse 29 with the expression that is, that is. Now, it is his understanding that he never saw him to be certain Of the meaning of the second sentence Or the second word Used in the Greek sentence See the second Greek word uh, It's a Greek word Lego The apostle used That enables us to be certain That the first Greek sentence Of verse 29 Is intended to provide an explanation Or to clarify The conscience Of the person in verse 28 is one, the Greek word that means really uh, to say or to tell, lego, lego. Now the word has really a range of meaning. For example, the word may mean means, means. When it is used to provide the meaning of a foreign word to, a, uh, to the language of the reader who uh, probably does not know the foreign uh, language as it is used to explain to a person who does not speak Aramaic what the meaning rabbi is in John chapter 1, verse 38. John chapter 1, verse 38. John chapter 1 verse 38 reads turning around Jesus saw them following and asked what do you want? they said, Rabbi that's Aramaic, but look at the, what he said, which means teacher now that word means, it's a Greek word lego, that means to say literally to say means teacher, where are you staying? Now, the Greek word may mean, to mean someone or something, as a way of explanation. As Apostle Paul uses it to indicate that the law did not invalidate God's promise to Abraham, as we read in Galatians chapter 3, verse 17. Galatians Galatians chapter 3 verse 17 it is what I mean is this the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and does do away with a promise. What I mean, so that's what, what I mean is this. Actually, that's what I mean is really, if you translate literally, it means what I tell, what I say. But what he's doing is giving an explanation. So that's why I say what it he means here. Now, it is in the sense of to mean someone or something that the word then is used in First Corinthians 10, verse 29, that we're studying. Hence, the apostle clarified that the conscience he meant in 1 Corinthians 10, 28, is that of the one that informed the believer, who is a dinner uh, guest in an unbeliever's home, regarding the source of the meat that is served as part of the meal that is presented before such an individual. So the point is that a believer who is is confronted with the information about the source of the meat presented to the individual as being from the meat sacrificed to an idol, that such a person should abstain from eating the meat. Now this is, as we have stated, to give rest to the conscience of the informant, to know that such a person is correct in informing the believer about the source of the meat. In other words, yes, this person informs the believer, look at what has happened. Because his conscience had bothered him. And maybe he did not uh, really think about it when he invited the unbeliever to his home. But, on second thought, haven't had the food made and everything. he mind might bother him. you know he's a Christian. they don't eat meat sacrifice to so idol, but that's what you're going to serve. so why you why you invite him? too late, more or less, you cannot invite the person well. i'm sorry don't come back don't come I just come for the dinner party, whatever. can do that now it's too late so. His conscience may say, now, okay... You've done the wrong thing, now this is the right thing... You now have two options... You can tell... Or you don't tell... If you don't tell, you're wrong... That's the, to the unbeliever... But if you tell, you're right... In other words, your conscience will clear you... So what is it to do? And the only thing to do is... While there... Once everything has started going on... And people uh, you know, filling their plate and so on... He said, okay... Uh, just to be clear look this meat is you know, from our temple that's what we at that point as I said the believer is put on the spot he may have taken a bite like I said at that point he may have to find a way to speak it out just to show his disgust with idol see that's, that's the whole issue that's because it, it doesn't show that disgust, there has to be a disgust. That's really issue to show that you, you are, as a person, you are because of your new nature in Christ. The anything related to idolatry is repulsive to you, and that's why the apostle used the Greek word that means, you know, stop what's already get, taking place. In other words, you taking the bite, stop it. Anyway, be that as it may, the instruction of the Holy Spirit through Apostle Paul to any Corinthian believer who has been invited to a meal in the home of an unbeliever, not to eat the meat served once the individual has been notified that the meat was sacrificed to an idol is the basis then of our statement of when not to use one's freedom in Christ. So, we have indicated that a believer should not use his or her freedom in Christ when there is a challenge to the Christian faith. Remember what we're looking at the apostles? There's nothing wrong with eating meat. Even if it's sacrificed to an idol, for a believer it means nothing. But that's not the point, as the situation involved now in a dinner party, and someone has been told, you, you know, you eat you know, this from idol temple. Something else is not at stake. And that's the issue. Now, so it is a challenge to the believer, in calling that his face, the situation we have considered, is simply then to see if such a believer will do something that endorses idolatry by eating meat sacrificed to a pagan idol. In other words, the eyes, maybe of the other unbelievers there, yeah, will be an unbeliever believer to see. Are you going to say it is okay what we're doing? Or are you going to be repulsed by it? That's what you are looking for. I mean, I've said this many, many times that believers who are serious, you are being watched. People don't tell you I'm watching you because if you've never really showed and you never talked about your faith and anything I oh, don't care about you. You can say you're a believer all you want, they don't care. It's those who actually do the right thing by wearing their faith on their sleeves. Those are the ones that will be watching clearly to see what you do. So they can say, oh yeah, is that what it means to be a Christian? If it is, I don't want any part of it. Anyway, something like that. Anyway, so the challenge to the believer, as I've said, is to see if the believer would uh, do something that somehow indulges idolatry by eating uh, meat sacrificed to an idol. Now, as was stated, there will be nothing wrong with eating any meat. Because, despite the abuse of such a meat... By the pagan world, it is still from God, who is sovereign over all his creation. Sure, they've sacrificed it to an idol. Now, that, if anything is wrong with that meat, then instruction will be done. Don't eat it without some so don't tell you. So, when the, when the apostle, the Holy Spirit is telling us to the apostle, only when you are informed, that means there's nothing in any of itself wrong with meat regardless how he's killed or whatever. It's not anything wrong with it because God is sovereignly in control of all creation. Bedo, in the case of a believer, is informed the source of the meat. The issue is that if the believer ate it, the unbeliever host would think there is no difference between him and the believer who is getting his house and soul? There is no difference between the Christian faith and involvement in adultery. That's it. that's for him, because if you say, okay, he doesn't understand your doctrine yet, that you believe there's nothing wrong with any meat because God has sanctified every meat. He doesn't know that doctrine. Doesn't even know where you're coming from. All he cares is how. Oh, if he agreed with me, even if I've told him he's contribute to eat, that means, oh, yeah, there's no difference. Hey, they just worship in a different way. That's no different. <laughs> but in any case, again, that's the issue here. Therefore, to apply then this principle of when not to use one's freedom, the believer should be governed by the thought that he or she must strive to show that there is a difference between the believer and unbeliever. See, again, that's what I call where you have that mindset. You're walking around, even in conversation and playing, whatever it is. Are you conscious that if a person is an unbeliever, both of you are not the same person? You may live in the same house. Go to some place to walk, in the same. But both of you are not the same. Are you conscious of that? Because if you are conscious, ah, this person is an unbeliever, and I'm a believer. If you are conscious of that, then you'll be on the uh, spot whereby you are constantly thinking, is what I'm doing now, is it going to give a wrong impression to this person who is an unbeliever? In other words, am I doing something that would distinguish me? So that this person will know, yes, we may be eating the same food, we are not the same. Because I am spiritually alive, he or she is spiritually dead. So, let me, with that, let me return then to the example I have used in this study that involves drinking of wine. Now, it is true that there is nothing sinful about drinking wine. But if an unbeliever offers it with the caveat that Christians do not drink wine, then the believer who drinks wine should abstain from it under that circumstance. The reason being that if the believer drank the wine offered, the unbeliever, although misguided about Christians drinking wine would we'll see no difference between him or her and the believer, because as far as the person is concerned, that's all he's heart, especially maybe in the Bible that Christians don't drink wine. So he just based on that, you need to say no, I'm not going to, in order to show there's a difference between you and that person. Now another ex- example. I can use or think about concerns the pagan practice known as Christmas. Suppose a person gives you a gift in December period without any comment, you probably will accept it. But if the person says to you, This is a Christmas gift, especially if they know that you consider the whole celebration. pagan, then you should not accept it. I see once you do that is something as the person who, who has been told this meat is from idol didn't wanna hear and eat it. Same thing. It's no difference. again here is some of the things I we, we try to and the point I'm going to make in the second half. We have to understand that as believers we read these things in the Bible, we kind of push them. It happened at that time. And we don't see how it tab- applies to us. We should see how that applies. You're doing know, the same thing that they did, and we read here and we criticize our, their failures because the Holy Spirit tells us to do so. So that we can learn from their failures. Remember, that's what Paul has been in, in this since he began really from the 10th chapter, is so that we learn how these people fail and, and avoid it. Anyway, so the point really we're making is that we should avoid the use of our freedom in Christ to act in something that is not sinful, but has the potential of causing an unbeliever not to see that there is a difference between him, her, and the believer that acts In a given situation. That may create doubt in the mind of an unbeliever. So anything. That will cause. An unbeliever. Not to see. Us as different. Is tantamount. To a challenge. To the Christian faith. Hence. We contend that we should. Not use our freedom in Christ. To act. In something that is not sinful, when the act in view will cause an unbeliever to misread the Christian faith, in effect, though we should do everything we can to put to rest the conscience of unbelievers to recognize that they are wrong. I mean that they are not wrong in evaluating us as different from them, but that they are wrong. In their rejection of the Christian faith. So in any case. The Holy Spirit. Knows us well, very well. As those who are more concerned. About ourselves. And our comfort. Than that of other people. Now I do not mean that we do not help other people. When we see them in need. But that we first and foremost. Think about ourselves before others. Furthermore, those of us who live in the so called free society do not want anyone to infringe in on our right to act as we choose. In fact, quite often, the concept of freedom becomes idolatry, in that we put human freedom above God we put human freedom above God now you may protest though by this assertion and say that you do no such thing in other words that you do not put the concept of human freedom above God so let me show you using two examples that prove that the concept of freedom I mean human freedom above God and putting it above God is something that becomes idolatry so I'm going to use two examples as see the Bible tells us that parents have the responsibility of raising their children by removing foolishness or lack of thought that is in them through discipline as we read In Proverbs chapter 22 verse 15. Proverbs chapter 22 verse 15. We're looking at time. Time for break. After break we'll read that.